something that looks like a disappointment or a challenge is actually an opportunity. You know, it's actually, um, you know, making way for something better for you, right? Um, and so it may look like a, a, a challenge or an obstacle, but really it's not. It's actually, um, it's actually an opportunity. It's actually something to learn from. Hello, I am Joel Ingram, and this is Crisis to Crushing It podcast. Let's dive into this week's talk, and I'll help to increase perspective, expand perception, and allow you to change your reality. Enjoy the show. So today on the show, I've got Julian Hall. Julian, welcome to the show. Thanks, Joel. Thanks for having me. Would you like to tell my guests a little bit about what you've got going on in your world right now? Yeah, sure. So I run a company called Ultra Education, which is a social enterprise that teaches kids entrepreneurship from seven to 18 years old. We've been going for about three and a half years now, and it was really sparked by my passion for pure entrepreneurship and thinking about how I could contribute most to it. And, you know, after a number of kind of ideas and um, experiences that I had, I you know, came to the realization that my biggest contribution to uh, this thing that I've, I fell in love with, entrepreneurship, would be in enabling the next generation with the skills and thinking that everybody, you know, marvels at when they look at entrepreneurs in the hope that the next generation of entrepreneurs would be more successful. Nice, man. Nice. I mean, so with... Where did this come from for you? I mean, there's, a, there's some stories in the background there. Let's go. Can we go back maybe to uh, maybe your school years? Just um, discuss some of the stories there. Yeah. Yeah, so I was homeschooled, actually, for the first two years <laughs> of my life. No <laughs> way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I'm not sure why my mother homeschooled me. I think she was just um, had her hands full with, um, with work and um, well, she had actually had, had she actually had a home based business, and I used to help her with that when I was about five or six. So that was actually my first kind of interaction with business. It was me helping my mum with the business that she was doing at home, and she was pregnant at the time with my with my younger sister, and for some reason she just chose to homeschool me for the first couple of years of my life. But uh, what then happened? I mean, you know, you kind of reflect on these things. And in retrospect, looking back at it, uh, being homeschooled was probably the reason why I was always then ahead of the class in primary school. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's, uh, we, we've noticed that our youngest is homeschooled and uh, he's got the reading age of somebody. Actually, he's reading a book now that my eldest daughter, who's 13. So my youngest son is six and my daughter's 13. She said there's people in her class reading the same books as him. Wow. <laughs> yeah, and it's not, it's yeah. not just you know, the fact that he's exceptionally gifted. It's just the fact that he can have the one-on-one and, and get past the, the blocks as soon as he hits them, you know? Well, this is the thing, and I think, I think you've hit the nail on the head, and that um, in the sessions that we do, so we keep our students-to-teacher ratio quite low. So we might have maybe one teacher for every four or five students and sometimes it's lower than that and so what happens is well to start with uh kids never get that kind of attention you know it's well unless they get into trouble of course <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. and then they get one-on-one time 
But, but if you think about it, if a kid does really well at school, they not they don't really get much one to one time. It's only if they if they start to you know fall off, come off the tracks, that all of a sudden you know they've got the attention of the teachers. Um, but but in kind of extracurricular activities and, and in homeschooling environments, as you say, the, the teacher or the parent can meet the block immediately and tailor um, a, some kind of you know educational intervention or or approach that gets the, the child out of that rut immediately without them having to wait you know weeks or sometimes it, it, it never gets resolved actually yeah it's, it's a big one i mean it's it isn't it crazy that it's geared that way like you, you think about um behaviors being rewarded and the types of people or children that's likely to either be either be bored or misbehave there's probably going to be an element of a lack of parental input somewhere. Do you want to go in with that? Think, um, yeah, so I think, you know, what's interesting is if you think about the Department for Education, um, within that organisation, they do not have a department which caters to parents, right? Because it just wasn't, it wasn't set up like that. I mean, it's not that they are unaware that parents contribute a large contribution to the education of their children, it's just that when the Department for Education was set up, however long ago, that just wasn't a consideration. And so now it's, you know, it's, it's a massive task for them to try and make fit for purpose education in the framework it currently exists. And, you know, to do that for millions of students across the UK and to then make sure that teachers are happy and you know, it, it's a big task. And so in, in reality, and I think this um, is becoming more and more apparent today, parents have got to take a lot more responsibility for the education of their child. You can't just send your child to school for 18 years and expect them to be ready for life and to be ready for the world of work. That's just not, it's just not going to happen. Even if you send them to the very best schools, you know, you cannot make that assumption. Mm. And, you know, so therefore parents have got to be knee deep in the educational journey of their of their children today yeah no definitely it's uh we notice an increase with our elders too the more in fact parents used to moan about the level of interaction because some parents felt that you know that you send them to school to learn and then when they're home you want to be with them and do stuff with them not be doing homework and stuff so it's right. an interesting dynamic where, you know, you're sort of, they go into school, you want to do the extra time, but you also know that if you don't do it, then they're going to be behind them, possibly reprimanded or otherwise in the school for the lack of the homework they haven't done. Yeah, no, precisely. I, th I, think, it could, I think it needs overhaul. It does, but, but that's why I said it's... Um... You know, the Department for Education is a bit like, you know, a massive cruise liner. It's not a speedboat. <laughs> so to overhaul a massive uh, cruise liner is going to take some time. And, and often they may say, well, you know, we're, we're moving, but we're moving slowly. And it's not broken per se. Um, so we're not, there's not much to fix, you know. I mean, if you look at the educational system in somewhere like Finland, I mean, it's clearly better than most in the world. And it's not as if, um, you know, educational institutions can't see that. 
But for them to rewire and overhaul, as you say, the current education system, I mean, it's a massive ask. And it's probably not one that can be done, uh, you know, I, I'd like to say within, within my lifetime, it's, it's, it's a difficult thing to do. So I don't think the onus of the education of our children should be left down to um, that institution. It should be something that parents um, take a massive responsibility to, uh, and they own it as much as the schools own it. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I would say we, we homeschool our youngest and we contemplated, as, as we discussed before the, the conversation, uh, homeschooling the eldest too. The eldest boy is already had a crack um, and his behaviour was difficult to manage at home. Um, so he lost that opportunity right. back in school. Um, but my my youngest, the, mid, my, the middle one, my daughter, uh, she is 13, but she's incredibly driven. Um, and she's she would never have contemplated homeschooling before, but she turned around about th- two months ago, and she said, "I know what I want to do. I just need space and time to do it." Um, and she's the type of person that would just go, you know, all in and and get it done to achieve what she needs to achieve. Um, it's a bit of a funny feeling because you don't know whether to, you know, if we was to say okay and, and then let it have a crack. And it, it works out all roses, then happy days. But then, you know, if it doesn't go the other way, you've got a certain parental responsibility, I suppose, or I, I perceive a certain parental responsibility to guide and, uh, you know, and, and edge in the right direction, you know? I mean, the thing is, is, um, I mean, lots of our students at Ultra are homeschooled and lots of them aren't. And I guess, you know, homeschooling isn't necessarily for every child and neither is mainstream education. It's not for it for every child either. Um, I guess ultimately, you know, our philosophy um, and the way we define an entrepreneur to a, a, a child or, or a teen is that an entrepreneur is someone who does what they love and they make some money from it. And so our baseline is doing what you love, right? And we want to... Um, put that suggestion forward at, at a young age so that when they do leave education and they're going to the world of work that they feel like they can um, do something that they're passionate about and not have to do a job of work that they hate doing just because they need to make some money um, because you know the majority of the population today they you know they hate Monday mornings and they are you know they're, they're losing themselves on, on Friday nights just to celebrate you know a couple of days where they can not work um, and that's not really a life. And so, you know, it, it, even though it sounds like, even though it sounds utopian, there are some people who do love what they do, um, you know, in a job of work and do love what they do working for themselves. It doesn't mean it's easy. It's still difficult. It's still challenging, hard work. But, you know, it's like if you love playing football, right? Um, it's it's not easy, but you love doing it, right? You, you love the challenge. You love the growth that it, um, you know, just like any other sport. Um, and so entrepreneurship is the same thing. It's not easy, but if you love the thing that you're working on, then it's better than working hard at something you don't like, <laughs> which uh, is soul-destroying, actually. 100%, mate. Been there. Been there. Um, literally, like, last year was the, the culmination for me when I, I put in for a, a job six times or four or five times in a year, um, going from a job that was sucking my soul and I and I and I'm I'm still going to work currently, and this uh, I can't I can't wait. I'm I, I'm busting for work every morning. It's 
to be, to be in a position when you're 40 with a mortgage, with kids and a wife, and then realize, shit, I can't give this up because I've got commitments to my family. It puts you in a very difficult position. If you know, especially if, if, if everybody has become accustomed to the way that you're living. Well, I mean, and this is the thing, right? It is very, very prickly when you are, uh, you know, grown with responsibilities. And I guess uh, prior to teaching this stuff to kids, I would coach and consult with lots of, you know, grown-up businesses. And I saw exactly what you said, the fact that um, their level of risk was often... Um, aligned to their level of responsibility. So the more responsibility you had, the less risk, of, the, the more risk averse you were, right? The less responsibility you had, the more um, of, an, of a risk appetite you had. And that's just naturally, it's a safety mechanism, right? Um, but at the same time, you know, um, for a lot of people, as you say, it could be, you know, sucking your soul out. And, you know, I mean, for, for us, it's about saying, um, if at an earlier age you were given the tools to learn how to do your own thing, do what you love, then you'd have a better chance at making that a success when you are an adult, right? Um, and, you know, you, you won't have to face that choice of, you know, do I, um, do I perform a soul-destroying job or can I do something that I like? Maybe I've got to work harder than, than, than someone who is, you know, in a soul-destroying job, but actually, you know, it's something that I enjoy and it's something that I can build, that I can call my own. Maybe there's a legacy attached to it. Maybe I'm helping people and impacting the lives of others. So all of that, you know, there's a lot of reward that comes with that as well, as opposed to just financial remuneration, you know. Um, and so for us, um, you know, that's kind of why we teach, one of the reasons why we teach entrepreneurship, because we think it, it'll increase the life chances of, our, of the next generation. Yeah, man, it's... Um... Well, if you, if you can teach somebody to follow what they love and, and just keep going, there will be no, they, they, the, their perception won't be of obstacles and obstructions and difficulties to overcome. It'll be one of curiosity and interest which drives them through and that's a completely different perspective to bring into the world. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess the great thing about us doing this with kids is that um, they've got nothing to lose, i.e. if they start a business or a project or come up with a product or a service and it fails, then they've, they've not lost anything. You know, they've learned a whole bunch, mm. but they've not risked their mortgage. They've not risked any bills. They've not risked, you know, all of this stuff that makes adults quite risk averse in that regard. Kids don't have to worry about that. Teenagers don't have to worry about that. You know, they can fail as many times as they need to. And we all know that there's a ton of learning that goes behind that. So it's done in, the, in a safe environment. Yeah, no, it's, I think it's fantastic. Like, to be able to, like, I, when I think back to my own, when I was younger, I was into all the creatives, so like art, um, cooking, um, like sewing classes, all this sort of stuff, all the stuff that would have been considered girly. Um, but then I remember at one point somebody said, what are you going to do? And I, and I said, well, you know, I, I like art. And they said, oh, and history. And, and then they said, well, you're going to do, be a history teacher. I was like, well, 
no. <laughs> I did, <laughs> I, I, and because because you don't know, because you're young, you've got no concept of what you can possibly achieve. All you know is that you enjoy doing this, this, and this. You know, and then when I got to 16 and I made my decision to follow my exams and work hard to get what I needed to get, to put myself in a position to get a job, I was then pursuing money, not fulfillment. And I think that if you you gifting children with the ability to pursue that in their own right, that's instrumental and that's, 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 you know, that's groundbreaking. Like, I mean, uh, I've been a, I've been a, a member of a mastermind and, and there's a lot of people in there that is homeschooling and they're looking, they're teaching this, you know, their kids, these skills, which you know what I mean, they, they, these kids are going to be in a, in a completely different position to other people where they're pursuing money over fulfillment. Yeah, and I guess, you know, the interesting thing about that is um, money's the byproduct of sort of an exchange. So, you know, I always, a question that we ask our kids, we ask them, you know, can you make money? And, you know, initially they say yes. And then I say, you know, listen to the words, can you make money? And, you know, unless you're the Bank of England, you can't actually make money. Um, you know, you earn it. It's an exchange. Somebody gives you money in exchange for something, right? And they give you money because they are hoping that you are good at something, right? You have a good product or a good service. And, and this is even in the capacity of work, right? You have to be good at something, otherwise no one's going to pay you for it. And I think what we're saying to kids and young people is, if you're really passionate about something, um, doesn't matter what it is, then if you were to pull that passion into a product or service, then it will be something that it will be good enough for someone to want to buy it, right? Mm. Um, it doesn't matter what it is. So if you think about history, for example, um, I know there's a, there's a company called, um, I think they're called Wacky Histories or Crazy Histories or something like that. Um, but they have taken their love for history and they've packaged it um, into educational material that make history interesting to teach and to learn, right? Um, and they're doing incredibly well. Um, there's a lot of um, um, venture capitalists and angel investors who studied history because it gives them an understanding of the world and they can look at economic trends and all this kind of stuff, right? So, you know, it, it doesn't matter what you are really good at. If you are um, excellent enough at that thing, somebody will pay you to do it. And uh, a couple of years ago, I saw um, there were a few people um, up you know, in, the, in, in the north of England in the countryside where, where the fresh air was, was actually fresh um, and they were bottling British fresh air and selling it to China right um, and you know there, there, were, there were people actually doing this you know, taking fresh air from the British countryside and they're exporting it and selling it um, to places like China now if people are selling fresh air right <laughs> then you could probably sell anything. <laughs> is that a true story you want to wind up? And, and all they've done is, is it, yeah, and all they've done is packaged it. No, it's, you, you can, if you YouTube it, it, it so it's on Facebook, I mean, you know, people, people are doing it, right? Um, and so there, it's just about packaging and it's just about actually identifying that there is a need for countries in the world that don't have fresh air or whatever, whatever it might be 
Um, I, I mean, I, you know, we say to our students, how much does water cost? Right. And they'll say, oh, I bought a bottle of water for a pound. And then I'll ask the question again and said, how much does water actually cost? And they realize water doesn't cost anything. You know, it comes out of the skies. It effectively is free, right? But the water industry is worth four billion a year. So wow. what's happening there, right? And and I can guarantee you there's a company that's gonna launch a new a new water company, a new bottled water company at some point, right? Um, adding something to water, whether it's vitamins or some kind of flavoring, right? So there's an endless um stream of um you know startup water companies, but water's free. So what does that tell you, right? Um, so it just tells you you can wrap creativity around anything, um, and and that for us is, is the nub of it. You know, um, without creativity, there's no innovation. Without innovation, there's no entrepreneurship. So the 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 anchor for entrepreneurship is creativity. So when you're talking about some of the creative things that you enjoyed as a child, those are the things that um, that lead to entrepreneurship, that lead to creative and, and innovative thinking. So those are the types of things that we need to encourage young people to do. Um, and not just, you know, cut them out of the curriculum or think that they're not serious disciplines. Yeah, no, it's, um, it, yeah, you, your life is shaped by what you believe. And when, you, when, you, when you're telling somebody what you enjoy and what you love doing, and then it's, it's put down and you haven't got an adult's perspective to be able to say, well, that's just their opinion. You know, looking back, that severely shaped and impacted what I pursued. And which ultimately led to me having a crisis about three years ago of existential crisis, really, um, of wondering how did I get here? You know, I'm forty and I'm I'm doing this job and I can't get out. This, uh, yeah, I I don't know. It's, it's it's crazy that the fact that that this sort of thing isn't taught. You know, it, it should, I don't know. Part of me wants to say it should be taught in schools, and I. I get we what we previously discussed, but it's just like it's it's such it's such a it's such a shame that it's taken so long to come through. But it's also a relief knowing that my children's children, you know, are coming into a different age. You know. Well, well, I mean, I think you're right. I mean, and that's probably the number one comment I get is that this stuff should be taught in schools, and one day it will be. I mean. Um, you know, part of our long-term mission is to get entrepreneurship into the curriculum. Mm. And, uh, you know, it will happen. It's just a matter of time. There are, there are lots of countries in the, in the world that teach entrepreneurship in the curriculum. Loads. The UK is just behind, right? So it's not something that is, you know, outside of the realms of possibility. It's just that it's just taking our education system a very long time to catch up with, what the what what the modern needs of um of the education for a child should be but again in lots of other countries around the world this is this is the norm right um i mean and and even if it's not in their education system per se it's part of their culture so if you think about um uh, the states um in america that the culture of entrepreneurship it, it's in, it's ingrained you know the whole kind of lemonade stand thing and you know mm. Or selling cookies door to door. I mean, that is just part of their culture, right? If you didn't, if you didn't do a lemonade stand when you were seven, like you, you're not American, right? Um, so it's just part of their culture. I mean, can you imagine kids doing a lemonade stand in England? I mean, it just it just, just wouldn't wash, right? <laughs> it, it just, and actually, um, there was a kid, an eight year old girl, who set up 
a lemonade stand at a festival about two years ago, and she was moved on. <laughs> she was no the, the, um, the organizers. The organizers came and shut her down. Oh my god! And she and and the mother couldn't believe it. Right? She said, oh, "You know, my, you know, my kid was just trying to, you know, do something that she really enjoyed. She really enjoyed. It it, it wasn't lemonade. It was something else, right? But she." The, the you know the organizers literally came and shut this eight year old girl down right and it caused a it caused a mini uproar a mini uproar online and someone said if that was America they said if that was America this would have been it would have been a storm because you can't do that right mm. um and so it's just it's just entrepreneurship just isn't part of the British culture unfortunately um we are moving away from that as in we're moving towards that but you know. Um, we have a reserve that doesn't necessarily celebrate entrepreneurship in the same way other countries in, in the world do. No, um, no, you're right. It's, uh, I, I remember as a kid, I, I, I did a fear out my back. So I had some um, uh, tennis balls and like, you know, a balanced thing where my friends could come and win a prize. And I wrote two pence on the bottom of a lollipop stick and stuck it in some sand and they had the ch- you know, <laughs> come and pay 50 pence to try and win some money. But yeah, I can't remember any of my mates ever doing anything like that. Um, but you're right. It's not really celebrated. Um, and I, I remember being heavily involved with the, the local fair at the primary level, which, uh, which probably give me my, my bent towards entrepreneurship because my parents uh, only recently discovered actually my father was, had his own businesses when he was younger uh, and then moved into employment oh, wow. after yeah after that but it was like it was never really it never really come out for me to see and i think if okay. you're exposed like you were exposed to it i think that's awesome because uh you know that, that child gets a completely different perspective yeah and i think we un- we underestimate what that exposure does later on in life you know um, you know, it's quite true that uh, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree and that kids do copy their parents um, or kind of significant adults in their life. They just do. You know, I see it over and over again, they, you know, whether it's what they study, um, you know, uh, where they, places they travel, things they do, hobbies they take up, where they end up, where they end up for work. A lot of it is influenced by by parents, aunts, uncles, so you know now we've but so now we've got the kind of you know an insight into actually um we don't want our kids to have to go through a mundane nine to five experience that they hate you know there's there's other options out there for them, and it's not just for those who are privileged it, it can be for any um child um from any background yeah absolutely um let me touch on someone else you just mentioned about norway um I read an article a while back where they were saying that their schooling day, I don't know if this is Norway or Sweden, but their schooling day is something like three or four hours. Yeah, so in Finland, um, they don't start school proper until the child is about seven. And even when they do start, the majority of it is play. And they don't, um, the, the teachers are called by their first names. Um, they they don't have a big hang up about whether the kids pass or fail exams. Mm. Um, you know, there's a whole bunch of things which um, 
you know, really, uh, which are really different, you know. Um, th there are no standardized tests in the same way as we have over here and, and in other countries. Um, and they have far less homework. Um, education is free all the way up until um, degree. And there are no better or worse schools. All the schools are of the same quality. Um, there are no private schools. Um, you know, it, 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 all of the all of the kids from, you know, wealthy to working class backgrounds go to the same schools, right? Mm. Um, and so, and so, it, you know, the standard of education is consistent throughout the country. And so, it's just basic things like that that you know just improve the level of educational output um, that the schools are able to achieve, and therefore, the levels of achievement and attainment for those students. Yeah, they, they they seem to have a lot going right over there. Like, there's another there's an, another aspect to a school they do. I'm not sure. It's one of those. It's either Finland, Norway, or Sweden. Um, and it's it's I think it's 16 to 18. So, but a lot of American children go there once they finish school, um, with the view to being exposed to more cultures, so that they you know they're able to have a, a world view when they leave. Um, just so they can experience those different cultures from all around the world, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's very, very important. So, uh, okay, so let, let's, let's, let's dig back into your story a little bit, because I mean, I, I love what you're doing. I just like to understand how you got here. So you, you've, you, you, your mother homeschooled you for the first few years. So if you were to think about when you were younger um, uh, and a time of great change in your life, What's, what types of stories and emotions does that evoke for you? Well, I mean, one of the things that I was really into was technology. So, you know, as a kid, I would try and program my own games and, you know, I, I was really comfortable with, with, with tech. And as we know now, tech is just the greatest enabler for entrepreneurs in business. So that was something that really set me up, um, you know, in terms of, having the skill sets right so i always remember that i always remember being knee deep in something tech some some kind of technology some computer something right um and you know i, I would spend hours and hours just playing around doing different things art programs on the computer music programs coding stuff whatever it might be and so you know and it was something that i really enjoyed and um and my parents didn't have a clue they had no idea how to do any of this stuff but, you know, I just worked it all out myself. And, and that's another thing. It's, it's interesting just looking back at it, you know, um, if, if you really, really enjoy something, really passionate about something, then you'll kind of, you know, as you said, your daughter, you know, she'll, she'll focus on something and she'll go and get it done. In the same way, I really love technology. And so I focused on it and worked it out in some way. And, and I got it done without my, my, my parents' help. But that skill of being able to, you know, learn things for yourself um, and that autonomy of learning is something that is now celebrated amongst, you know, entrepreneurs and professionals, the kind of lifelong learning um, idea. So, you know, so that's something that I now look back at and think, you know, that's uh, a real skill that I picked up and, you know, kind of going on a little bit later on um, when I was 18, um, my friends and I set up a, uh, a fashion company 
Um, and it was because we couldn't afford the clothes that we saw on TV. So, you know, um, we decided just to make them ourselves. Um, and, you know, um, one, of, one, of, one of the crew had, you know, um, graduated from the London College of Fashion. And uh, then you had to make clothes and design. And, and they taught us and we made our own clothes and we started and they were good enough that we could sell them. And, and that was actually the, the very first business that, that I started. And that was when I was 18 years old. But we didn't really think of it as a business per se. We didn't even, you know, the word entrepreneurship was, wasn't even banded around at the time. But it was my first kind of introduction to the world of, of making money and, uh, you know, coming up with an idea, going through a process, creating a product, making some money and some profit from it. And, you know, realizing that actually, you know, this was something that I was capable of doing. So that was my kind of first or my kind of first real business you know actually making money from that entrepreneurial skill love it that's brilliant so i mean obviously you were allowed to uh, dabble with your tech um that you mentioned um something i'm constantly battling with is whether to let my son double down on his gaming or to restrict his uh, xbox time um have you got any uh, perspective or opinions on on that type of thing yeah so i think um there's a lot of learning opportunities that come with um things particularly gaming so uh there was a a couple of years ago there was a computer science teacher who asked me to come in and help him in his after school club he said julian you know these kids know more know more about tech than i do right so um i went in and it was about room full of about 10 or 15 um 14 and 15 year olds and as I walked in I noticed that they were just you know around the room uh the, the outside the perimeter of the room and they were just playing games um so I said to them oh look look guys let's have a quick chat um why do you come to this to this computer club and I said sir look the only reason why we can't is so we can play the games so I said okay you know what games are you playing and they we started talking about the games they were playing and I asked them you know who coded the games and asked me if they were interested in getting into gaming and stuff like that. And then I, I started to ask them, you know, what are the types of jobs or job roles that go into making games, right? So, you know, I asked them, you know, they, so they talked about the coding, but I asked them who does the sound effects or the music for, um, for the game? Who does the, the costume design or looks at the history or the storyline or the, the advertising or the marketing or, you know, who does all of that? It's not the coders right it, it's the musicians it's the artists it's the historians it's the it's the storytellers it's the the marketeers there's a whole and by the time we'd finished there were about 20 different job roles that i that we've come up with um which contributed to making a game right mm -hmm. and so that then widened their perspective on on the gaming industry because up until that point they, they thought well the only people that work in the gaming industry are, are, are coders, which isn't true, right? There's a whole bunch of, you know, um, job titles that exist mm. um, within that field. So that was a real eye-opener for them. And then, um, you know, my son, who's eight, I mean, he's, you know, as, you know, he's into gaming as much as every kid is now, nowadays. And, um, and what, what, what that evolved into is he now goes to a, a games um, a games design club on a Saturday, right? That's cool. Um, called Software Academy locally to us. And so, you know, we've taken his, his interest in games and said, well, why don't you learn how to make your own games, right? So he, he, so he goes to this game. It's not, it's not coding club. It's a, um, 
it's a game design club because there's you know gaming software um which is you know a number of gaming packages which are used industry-wide that he can now learn um and work out how to create characters how to create weapons and backgrounds and animations and um, and those are real job skills you know but he's doing it because he's really interested in in making in playing games and therefore or and therefore is interested in, in what goes behind it so that's how we kind of crack that nut that's brilliant i mean i've never heard of that i thought that'd be something i've tried to expose my son to it again to think about different things and different aspects of um he's not i've mentioned the coding we've played about with coding games online but i wasn't aware there was uh that like like you mentioned a gaming academy, so I'm gonna have a little search of that on Google when I finished. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so um okay. So how 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 does Julian deal with um and view obstacles in his life? I mean, have you always been? Because you seem quite aware. You switched on. So is that was that always the case, or is this something you've come to through as you've grown, or? So I am. Um, I have obstacles daily, even hourly. <laughs> um, but I think the reason I um, I'm not I'm not well. Um, obstacles are always challenging, but I know that once I've gotten over the challenge, I've now learned something new. I'm now stronger, more well equipped, more resilient um, to deal with bigger challenges because. You know, with bigger opportunities come bigger challenges, right? With bigger success come comes bigger challenges. It's just they go hand in hand. Mm. And so, um, what's more important isn't so much um, the challenges. It's 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 the confidence I have in being able to overcome a challenge, right? So, um, one of the things that I learned again as part of being in technology was. Um, you know, solving problems, right? Because technology goes wrong all the time. So, you know, I had to quickly work out how to how to engineer and solve tech, tech technological problems. And so I spent a long time doing that because prior to setting up, um, you know, the, the last few companies, I had a career in investment banking on the technology side. So I would fix a lot of the tech problems and, you know, implement a lot of tech solutions. And so that developed this kind of problem-solving mindset that I had. Um, and one thing that I do know is that there's a solution for everything. You just may not know what it is at the time. Um, and someone knows, even if immediately you don't know what the solution is, there's always a solution, right? Um, and so I go into things with that mindset and, you know, I'm, I'm bothered and disappointed and, you know, um, knocked by challenges and disappointments that everyone else does. The, the only difference is that, um, I'm only knocked for seconds or maybe minutes, not hours or days or months, right? Mm. Um, and that's because I know that once I let that emotion pass, that um, there's going to be a solution or, or even sometimes um, even better, something that looks like a disappointment or a challenge is actually an opportunity. You know, it's actually, um, you know, making way for something better for you, right? Um, and so it may look like a, a, a challenge or an obstacle, but really it's not. It's actually um, it's actually an opportunity. It's actually something to learn from. It's actually some maybe it's just it's not great timing. It's you know there's a lot of of other things that go into 
um, you know, things that happen in life, right? So I take a very kind of philosophical view of it. Um, so I suppose to answer your question in practical terms, I, I tend not to overreact to anything, um, good or bad. Um, so I take a kind of, um, there's, a, um, there's, a, there's a term for it, it's called um, equanimity. So, um, so equanimity is not allowing your emotions to go um, too far in either direction. Um, so that you can kind of effectively keep a level head. Um, and so practicing that just means that when, you know, great things happen, um, you, not that you don't celebrate, but you don't overdo it um, or, you know, um, because there, there's a negative in that as well. And then when bad things happen, you don't take them, you don't get knocked too hard, right? Um, you get knocked, but, you know, you can get up and you can keep going, which is, I think, the important thing. It's not so much about, whether or not there are obstacles or disappointments. Resilience is about, can you keep going in, in, in spite of all of those things happening? Because they're gonna happen anyway. Um, you know, no matter how successful somebody might look, they are, they've got challenges, guaranteed. They have challenges somewhere in their personal or, or professional life, there are challenges. Um, but it's just, do you have the resilience to keep going? And I suppose that's the thing that I've developed over time. It's just the resilience to keep going no matter what, um, you know, um, disappointments come my way. I, I'm I'm used to disappointments now. It, it's it doesn't it doesn't really bother me because I know that there's another opportunity. There'll be another, um, uh, you know, thing around the corner that I can benefit from, um, whether I know it immediately or not. That's that's brilliant. How did you how did you become aware of the benefits of that perspective as opposed to you know, dwelling or kicking your own ass or, you know, just delving into the misery of everything you're going to. How did you become aware for yourself? Cause something... because, because I don't like, because I don't like, yeah, it's because I don't like the alternative. So the alternative is to, is, is, is to be depressed. The alternative is to, you know, um, not, not go for what your dreams are or your goals are or for those things to slow down and to stop achieving and to, you know, wallow in self-pity. That's not me. It's not, I would rather take a, take a positive stance and keep going than to, you know, be in depression for months, you know, because that's the alternative, right? So it, it's less about me being so clever that I've worked out another way of doing it. It's more about me saying, you know, I just want a better alternative. There's got to be a better way of dealing with the challenges that life brings to you rather than being down in the dumps about it or rather than being depressed or stressed out about it. There's got to be another way, right? And so it's, it's more like a self, it's more like a, um, um, a self-defense mechanism that I've built up insofar as if these things are going to happen to me all the time, which they do, then in order for me to maintain some kind of life right um and some kind of perspective and, and positivity then i've got to find a way of dealing with it um otherwise you know i would just i would you know i, I wouldn't be talking to you right now right I, I just you know i'd be down in the dumps but probably just be vegging out in front of the tv and or whatever it might be but that's i don't want that i don't want that to be my existence i want my existence to be positive and to be um progressive yeah, man. It's um. Have, have you have you always been that way? I know you. You, you um. 
Yeah, so have you have you always been that way? It's a good question. Um probably, yeah. I probably have, but um yeah, I think I have I think I have always been that way, but I think that has come by way of observing my mother dealing with challenge. So my mother had, you know, loads of challenges in raising us as a single parent, but mm. she, but she was super resilient. She got on with it. You know, she always gave us what we wanted. We, we never, we were never without. So I looked at that and thought, okay, well, you know, if she can do it um, and she's my greatest example, then, then I can do it too. Right. And so um, I think I've always been like that. Um, but it, but it, it came from uh, modeling uh, my, my mum. Yeah. And and the craziest part of that is most of the stuff you probably modelled happened before you were six. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, well, it's... absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's all yeah, of... that is crazy. <laughs> it's uh, it's all these unconscious behaviours that you have managed to pick up on, and and obviously, cause, I mean, you got a you got a great energy about you. I'm picking up on your vibe. It's uh, I'm liking your vibe. So uh, and it, and it's great that you can, thank you, John. I appreciate that. You can convey it and. Uh, yeah, it's 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 nice to hear. It's nice to hear because you can hear the passion as well. So that's cool. Okay, can you tell me a story about something that has amazed you? Yeah, I guess it's um, it's it's all from our students, really. So, um, I remember just before we had the idea of setting up, um, you know, this kind of club teaching kids entrepreneurship, um, my daughter when she's 11 now when she was about four or five um and i had um, a home office she would play in the office um whilst i was working just so i just so i could be around her and you know whenever the phone would ring she'd know to be quiet and, and all the rest of it anyway after a couple of years of that um we had a um just a family kind of garden party thing and uh, she came out, she's about five, six years old. She came out into the garden with all of her cousins behind her. And she said, um, right, everyone, um, we've made stuff for you to buy. And if you've not got any money, we've made credit cards for you. <laughs> and, you know, um, and everyone looked at me and said, um, and said, you know, what have you been teaching her? I said, well, I've not been teaching her anything. She's just, in my mind, I was processing this and thinking, she's just been absorbing all of this. She's been picking this up right yeah and so um i was amazed by how kids just pick things up and you know as you as you as you know um you know kids can learn up to by the time a child is i think five or seven they can learn like five languages and a whole bunch of musical instruments so they're very capable it's just that we don't um subscribe things like entrepreneurship as one of the things that they can learn but yet they can learn I mean, like, a five-year-old could be fluent in Mandarin if they want to be, right? Or if, if they're taught at an early age. Mm. Um, so if they can be fluent in Mandarin by the age of five, they could pick up entrepreneurial skills, right? Yeah. Um, so, so I was amazed by that. Um, I was amazed by um, one, of our, one of our first um, workshops. It was in a bookshop. Um, and um, we had the six-year-old boy and, um, in, in the club uh, in the class and I gave I gave them all an activity I said right go around the shop and I want you to um give the bookshop owner some tips on how he can sell more books 
So, um, so this little boy, um, at the end of it, after about 20 minutes, came up to the bookshop owner and he said, um, and he looked at him, he was um, by the till, and he said to the bookshop owner, he said, those books behind you, he said, are those for kids? And the bookshop owner said, yeah. And the little boy said, well, if they're for kids, I can't reach them. <laughs> because they're, they're all the way up there. And the That's bookshop owner looked at me, and he picked up his pen and he started making notes. And the, look on the, and the look on that little boy's face was, this adult is taking me seriously, mm. right? And he was just beaming. He was full of confidence and he started reeling off all, the, all of the other stuff. And there was about seven or eight other kids who did the same, right? And again, I was amazed by how, you know, kids just pick up simple things, right? But we, but we just, you know, um, take it for granted that, um, that they have an insight. And, and I guess probably the, the last one I'll share with you, I mean, I've got so many but the last one is um, um, we um, took some of our kids to a talk on um, purpose in business at a place called Level 39, which is at the top of Canary Wharf Tower a few months ago. And um, on the way there, one of our students was, he was with his mum making his way there. And his mum said to him, you know, one day, you know, if you, keep, if you keep all this up, one day you'll be able to work in one of these big buildings. Um, and the boy said, no, mum, one day I'll own one of these buildings. Ah, I love it. <laughs> and, um, right. and, and again, I was just amazed by his level of, of aspiration, right? He's only like 15 years old. Um, but the level of aspiration is, you know, is through the roof. So, you know, I think, you know, every day um, I'm just inspired by um, what our kids do and the feedback we get from our parents. And, um, you know, it just helps to keep the whole thing going. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I love that last one, and and the book one. Yeah, because it's I, I tell you that's what I've noticed with um, homeschool children as well. They they're able to relate and hold conversation with adults more readily. Right, right. You know what I mean, it's no, it doesn't. I don't know if it's because it's ingrained. They, you know, the, the res- and it's not that there's a lack of respect. It's just the fact that everyone's on an equal footing. Uh, yeah, I, I, I agree. I've noticed that with homeschool kids as well. You're right. You're right. Listen, I, I think it's a confidence thing, if I'm honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was going to say, it's, I think it's confidence because they, they are, they are, I don't think they get in the knockdowns or the put-downs or the whatever because, I mean, it happens. I mean, you've got people in charge of our children that are not always the most enlightened, most patient, and they've got their own things going on in the background as well. You know, we don't understand what some of these teachers are going through, so we don't actually know. Um, yeah, very true. Very you know, true. Very true. We we yeah, it just um I don't know, there's just so much going on in my head right now. Well, that's what I wanted to say to you was I had a, a friend who did it for me recently. He uh I gave him a shout out, Callum Smith. He said to me he was always dreaming about what if we what would we do if we won a lottery. And I said, oh, I don't I don't know. I said it's a lovely spot at the top of Philly. I said I'd have a a restaurant on there, it'd be all fine dining and lovely views of this and that. He went, oh, yeah. He said, I know that place. Yeah, he said, he said that's uh, you'd have it in the building. I said, yeah. He said, oh, I'd own the building. <laughs> and, and, I never, <laughs> and I never thought to have the perspective of like just going out, do you know what I mean? A little bit, just zoom out of the picture a little to see the bigger picture. Right. And he completely blew my mind with that. It sounds so basic, but he, he really opened my eyes as to, you know, how to dream, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> right. 
Well, I want to thank you, Julian. Um, I got one last question for you, and that sure. is looking into the future. What would be the craziest and most exciting thing for you to be experiencing? Um, it would be in 10, 20 years time to have the most successful entrepreneurs in the world say that they came through ultra education. Nice. I like it. <laughs> That's brilliant. Well, I, I'm, well, you're on your way, Julian. I mean, uh, it's well in the way, isn't it? So, um, are you all around the country? So. The, the people, I mean, is, 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 is this lo location specific or are you all UK? Or? So, um, yeah, so we're, um, we're UK at the moment. So uh, um, we are in between London and Birmingham. We've got something going on in Stoke. Uh, um, but we're speaking to people in Derby, Sheffield and a few other places to expand as we speak. So, yeah, watch this space. Anything for online? Yep, the online thing is being developed um, again as we speak. So by the end of the year, we'll have a full suite of, of online products um, that we can offer. That's awesome. Awesome. I look forward to seeing them. Brilliant. <laughs> uh, and can you tell my audience where they can find you and on what platforms, please? Sure. So the website is ultra.education. Uh, just type that in and we'll, we'll come up. Uh, you can also find us on uh, Twitter at um, ultra underscore education, on Instagram at ultra education, and Facebook at ultra education UK. Um, if you Google Julian Hall, um, I I'm everywhere on Google. And if you Google ultra education, um, then we'll, we'll pop up. And uh, yeah, you can have a look at the work we've been doing have a look at the, the businesses our kids have been setting up and think about what your child could be doing. Absolutely. So thank you for listening today. I hope you enjoyed it. My name is Joel Ingram and I am a certified NLP coach. I help passionate, resourceful and professional people who feel stuck and unfulfilled with aspects of life to rewrite their narrative and chronicle a new, engaging and captivating future. Please subscribe if you found benefit. And that's, on that note, I'm going to wrap him up. Julian, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me, Joel. It's been a, a pleasure to have you on. I, I've loved the discussion. It's, uh, it's one that's close to my heart and sometimes some of the questions get me fired up. And uh, <laughs> you know, It's frustrating though, isn't it? Because, I mean, it's something that so needs to be done yet the support is there in different little pockets you just need the right exposure and the right people to hear it for it then to blow up and just change stuff exactly but we're on our way come on said. absolutely absolutely I'll be supporting you and promoting your work as well so happy days <laughs> <laughs> Julian thank you very much what's the plan now for the rest of the evening uh, good question Probably jump back on socials and, and catch up with um, some of the comments on there. Cool, man. Okay. Well, have a good one. Thank you very much. This uh, okay too. to stay in touch? Definitely, of course. Brilliant stuff. Of course. Wouldn't have any other way. <laughs> okay. Thanks for your time, Julian. Uh, my man. Take care. All the best. Bye. Bye-bye.